fantastic. We're all having these amazing conversations and fellowship, and we'd uh, we definitely encourage you all to continue that after the service. Um, and I have the honour of bringing the uh, and reading the the New Testament scripture that Sam will be preaching today, um, and it comes from John 16. Uh, we'll be reading from verses 16 to 33. And it reads, a little while and you'll see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figuratively speech. Now we know that, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to their own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's great to be with you. So my name's Sam. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here. And we were going to uh, preach into this text. Happy Mother's Day to mothers and no one else. Okay, let me pray. Father, we come into this moment now um, as needy people, needy of your words, and then to understand them, needy of your Holy Spirit to take them, print them on our hearts, show us the wonders and the good news that's in this text. So we pray that you would do that, that we would see Jesus, that would be enough for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week we reach actually the final words that Jesus is giving to his disciples, addressing directly to them on this night. So that's well done. We've got to the end, we're going to... Lord willing, finish chapter 16, where Jesus speaks to his disciples, his friends, preparing them for his departure. Chapter 17, Jesus is going to turn in prayer to the Father, and we'll spend some weeks in there in chapter 17, before the narrative picks up again with Jesus' betrayal and his arrest. I know what it would be like to, you know, if you look back over the, the past few chapters, I don't know what, how it would strike you, what that night would have been like for the disciples, hey? 
Um, you look at all the things that have been covered and just what was it like? For us, we've been in this text for, uh, I think it's been 11 weeks. For them, it's a few hours of all of this teaching. They've been with Jesus for some three years. I'm sure they had lots of nights together, lots of probably late night conversations, but not one of them have been anything like this night. We know that none of them have been like this night because Jesus said, we saw this last week, He said to them, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. See, I have not said these things before, but I'm saying them tonight because I'm departing. They've never had a night like this. What are the things that have been said? All right, let's do a flyover recap of the past few chapters. It's a fly, it's, it'll be quick. Chapter 13, Jesus gets up and washes the disciples' feet. Very confusing for them. He declared that one of them would betray him. And Judas soon leaves the room. He speaks about, in chapter 13, his departure, that he's going away from them and they cannot come where he is going. And Peter says, no way, I will die for you. And Jesus says, no, actually, in just a few hours, before the rooster crows, you will deny knowing me three times. In chapter 14, still same night, obviously, Jesus tells them, do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm going away, but it's for your advantage because I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I'll come back so that we will be together. Our, 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 distance, our, our distance between us won't last forever. But don't worry, you know the way. You know the way to the Father because you know me and I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In, in Jesus' absence, He tells them, you'll actually go on to do greater works greater works. You'll be spreading the full news, the full gospel of His death and resurrection throughout the world. They will not, He says, be left as orphans in His departure. A helper will come, the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15, Jesus calls them to abide in Him. Abide in me, He says, like a, like a branch abides in a vine. Get your life from me. And the father is the vine dresser, the, the, the farmer, and he'll be at work on you, pruning you, so that you go on to bear much fruit. He says the disciples are no longer just his servants, but Jesus says, you are my friends. But then that is contrasted, of course, with the, the reaction that the world is going to have, you, have with them. The world is not their friends. Jesus says the world will hate you, but do not fall away. Chapter 16, so far. We saw last week, the Holy Spirit is coming. And Jesus says, this is to your advantage. This is to your advantage that I go and the Helper comes. He will continue the ministry of Jesus in the world and in the disciples. That's a lot to take on in one night, isn't it? I haven't said these things before, but I say them to you now because I'm departing. That's a lot to take in. No wonder Jesus said to them, verse 12, just recently, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So what will his final words be to them? What do you think? What will his final words in his talk to them, addressed to them before he prays, what would he say? It's probably to be expected from our Lord Jesus. He will offer them comfort, offer them strength. The, the kinds of things that he wants to leave in their minds as, they, as, they, as this ends up, what's the final notes that they'll be playing in their minds? It's these notes of comfort of strengthening, I think. Well, who doesn't need that this morning? Who doesn't need the comfort of the Lord Jesus, the strengthening of the Lord Jesus? So our passage has another, I have said these things, that type statement, right? That Jesus has used that phrase a few times just recently to explain, this is why I'm telling you this. It's very helpful for us, isn't it? So chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That's why I'm saying them. Or 15, 17, these things I commanded you so that you will love one another. Or 16, verse 1, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. And so here in this passage right now, he makes very, very clear, here's why I'm saying these things to you. It's actually the very last verse. So his last words on this night to address to the disciples specifically, Jesus says this, verse 33, look down. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. So that's the purpose statement. It may be fair to say that's the purpose statement of the last few chapters, right? The whole farewell discourse is what it's called. That's the purpose of the whole thing. But it's specifically and especially the purpose of these final words that in me, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. Because obviously, <coughs> pardon me, a lot of the words that Jesus has said to them have not left them with the feelings of peacefulness, right? He said things like, one of you will betray me. Peter will deny me. I'm going away and where I'm going, you cannot come. The world will hate you. Well, this is not, you know, he says, and I'm saying these things for your peace. Like, this doesn't feel very peaceful. But he's offered words of comfort along the way, hasn't he? Things like, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Or when Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But as this time draws near, it's like, it's like one, <clears throat> one song is louder than the other in their minds. Right? It's like the, 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 the voices of anxiety and fear and sorrow are much louder than the voices of comfort. Jesus just said in chapter 16, verse 6, you see, but because I've said these things to you, this is in the final moments, sorrow has filled your heart. I saw that last week. So that's, that's what's amplified in their minds right now. Sorrow, overall, in all of this, sorrow has filled their hearts. And so in his final words, Jesus gives comfort so that they would know, Jesus says, what do he say? Peace in me. But notice the very next line. In the world, you will have tribulation. So he just puts them side by side, doesn't he? In me, peace. In the world, tribulation. The two spheres that the disciples will live their lives. Two realities at the exact same time. The disciples will have a hard time. Most of them will be martyred. They will live in danger. They will be hunted. They will be imprisoned. They will be beaten. They will be killed. Jesus doesn't promise to them, in this world you will not have trouble. You will not know pain. You will not know suffering. He says, actually, you will. And he promises them. And I'm saying these things at the same time you can have peace in me. Isn't that the opposite of what um, we often think, believe? Um, we often are tempted to think the ex exact opposite. You know, in Jesus, there's a lot of trouble. But maybe in the world, there's a lot of peace. Isn't that why many fall away? Come to be convinced of the exact opposite of what Jesus just says. I think in Jesus, I have too much trouble. And it seems like in the world, I could have peace. And the world knows we long for peace. We desperately long for peace. And that's why they try to sell their stuff to us as this will give you peace. I, um, I read an article from the New York Times. It came out in, the 20, in 2020, like kind of peak COVID season. And the, name of the uh, title of the article was, In Hard Times, a Barrage of Ads Promises Peace of Mind. Right, and it listed some of the different ads that all the advertising kind of companies were coming out with during in that moment of you know peak COVID. Oh no! There was an ad with Paul Giamatti, the actor. <clears throat> he said in a Coors Light beer ad, "If history has taught us anything, it's that we can get through anything, and that beer sometimes helps." He said a subscription wine group had the narrator in the ad say, "We're going to need a lot of wine to get through this year." They said soft plush toys, you know, for kids, plush, those soft, cuddly ones, were advertised as providing deeper sleep, better cognitive functioning, and reduced anxiety. It said that the arms of the toys are specially weighted so that they can give, I quote, hugs that can save the world. Amazing. Way to overpromise on a hug from a toy. Nature's Bounty, a wellness company said that its customers will find peace by consuming their stress comfort gummies. Meditation and the sleep app called Calm, they spent $15.6 million 
on just TV ads, not including social media, between just March and, April, March and August in 2020, the year before they spent $3 million. So that's to capitalize on a world full of anxiety. Use our app. Peace. It, uh, it makes sense. Like in a world full of trouble, in this world you will have trouble. Wow. The, the clever ones will sell peace as a product. But Jesus is no salesman and peace is not a product. Peace in this passage is a person. He says, you can have peace in me. And so I've got three things from this passage. Three reasons that Jesus gives of why we can find peace in him. Right? First, because your sorrows will turn into joy. Second, because you can pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And third, because even though your faith will falter, Jesus has not faltered. He has overcome the world. Okay? I'll repeat them as we go through. First one, because your sorrows have peace in Jesus. Because why? Your sorrows will turn into joy. Verse 16, let's go. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Now, probably from the start, we all in this room kind of know what he, probably what he's talking about, right? Because we live on this side of all, all these things that, have, that, that are going to happen. In a little while, he's going to go to the cross. They won't see him. And then in a little while, he's going to rise from the dead. They will see him. They don't know that yet, right? That's very clear in verse 17. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. I love the honesty. Isn't that great? I don't, you know, you're tempted sometimes, aren't you, to someone saying things and you just have no idea what they're talking about. And you just go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it, yeah, you know. And they say, you know what I mean? You're like, yeah, absolutely. You know, that, like, especially that, that last point is excellent, the way you said that. I agree. I concur. But they don't, not the disciples. They turn to one another and agree and their common ignorance. I do not know what he means. Do you know what it? I have no idea what he is talking about, a little while, a little while longer. I got nothing. The extent of their confusion, I think, is shown when one of them brings up, seemingly kind of out of nowhere, because they're discussing, what does he mean by a little while, a little while? And then one of them pipes up and says, yeah, and um, what does he mean by because I'm going to the Father? So he just adds in. And I mean, that's, Jesus has been talking about that for a while, so he's been holding on to that one for a little while. So in that moment, it seems like the disciples are finally having a discussion about their ignorance. And he goes... <clears throat> Anyone remember, remember when he says going to the Father? What does that mean? Which means there's confusion over very important things. They don't get a little while, which means they don't get the crucifixion. They don't understand a little while longer, which means they don't understand the resurrection. They don't understand because I go to the Father, which means they don't understand the ascension. So, verse 19, Jesus knew, it says, that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And Jesus sees, he knows what's in a man. He knows what's going on inside them. He knows their conversations. And their answer to that would be, yeah, yeah, we would like to ask that question. We don't really know. So Jesus explains, verse 20 begins, truly, truly. I say to you, it's always just worth marking when Jesus says that because what he's calling is for your special, of course, we should always listen, but give your special attention to what comes next. He says, truly, truly, amen, amen. This is true. This is true. Hold on to these things. Understand what I'm about to say to you like your life depends on it. Truly, truly, I say to you, what does he say? <clears throat> you will weep. And lament, but the world will rejoice. So that relates to a little while. In a little while, this is what it's going to look like. You will not see me. You will weep and you will lament. But at the same time, the world will rejoice. Like pouring salt on the wound, isn't it? You are weeping Lamenting, lament is a song of deep sorrow. At the exact same time, 
actually, it, the world is rejoicing. And it's not that they're rejoicing about something else going on. That would be hard enough. While you're sad, other people are happy. That can be hard. They're happy about the exact same thing that causes you to weep and lament. Have you ever experienced that? That's a hard thing. Where you're going through a thing so hard and someone else rejoices in that thing. That's true for Christians. Christians, that that marks the Christian life in this world, doesn't it? As exiles, sojourners, pilgrims on the way, that there will be times and there are times where in the world the, the thing a thing happens and God's people weep and the world rejoices. You think of abortion laws. Just free reign to, 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 to kill babies. And God's people just weep, don't we? And the world says, is literally rejoicing. And we could list off a number of things like that. Well, that happened at the death of Jesus. God's people weeped, wept. And the world rejoiced. That happened in a little while. But then what about a little while longer? Verse 20 continues. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So a little while longer, your sorrow won't last forever. It will turn to joy. What the world had while you were in such sorrow, you will have, when it was rejoicing, you will have that. Just a little while longer though. We read about that actually later on in chapter 20 of John, John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 19, after the resurrection, says this, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Glad just seems like a very neutered kind of translation of that word. Most translations say rejoice, right? I am glad when dishes get put into the sink, right? You know, I'm glad when there's leftovers after dinner, I can have that for lunch the next day. Darren is glad when people turn up to church on time. The disciples, after the death of Jesus, and then seeing him amongst them, showing his hands and saying, my peace I give you, glad? (laughs) It doesn't seem... No, their sorrow has turned into joy, exactly what Jesus said. So then to make this point, Jesus now uses an illustration. That's good timing for this illustration, actually, because it's Mother's Day. And it has something to do with that. I do think, you know, Jesus gets away with it. I don't know if guys in general can get away with if there's only guys in the room and they talk about how, like, you know what we're going through is a lot like childbirth. That doesn't usually roll well with the girls. It's like... You know, what I'm experiencing is a lot like giving birth, I think. I think. But anyway, Jesus, obviously, there are things about childbirth that, ge- that are obvious, okay? And we can all agree, even though there's just men in the room, okay? It says this. I think it's actually really beautiful. Jesus says in verse 21, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. See? See the parallel? Sorrow and pain in a little, for a little while. But then a little while longer, joy. Amazing joy. It is really a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful moment, that, is, that, that moment, if, if you've been there in that moment, right? It is, it is an amazing, because childbirth is no joke, right? That, that is painful. That is upheaval. That is, there's sorrow. There's tears. There's all of that. But the moment the baby gets held up and you see, it's just, it's all gone, you know, just the joy. The face changes. It's everyone's just, wow. It's so joyful, people will do it again, you know, and again, (laughs) and again. That's the comfort of just a little while longer. There is peace to be found in Jesus You have to wait a little longer, just in a little while. The Apostle Paul was comforted by the fleeting nature of his his sufferings, of his afflictions. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, he says, For this light and momentary affliction 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's light and momentary. What is light and momentary, Paul? All my afflictions. They are light and they are momentary. Really? Really? How? Well, it's perspective. In the light of the weight, what does he say? The weight of the eternal weight of glory that's coming. Beyond comparison. Wow. You see, you could have the hardest suffering every single day for the rest of your life. And the reality is, in the, in, in, in the perspective of the vastness of eternity, it will be light and it will be momentary. You could suffer every single day for the rest of your life. Think about it. Eternity. It, makes, it dwarfs everything. It'll be like a drop in the Pacific Ocean that goes on and on and on forever. An ocean that never stops. That will be your sufferings. Even the worst of it that lasts an entire lifetime. That's what Paul's saying. So that's why, um, that's what's in the story for every Christian, for all of us, right? It's just a little while. That's the story for us all. Verse 22, so also, Jesus says, so just like the woman giving birth, you disciples, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. See, sorrow now, but what? I will see you again. I love that he puts it that way. He doesn't say, you will see me. He says, actually, something more fundamental, something more foundational, I will see you. Because, you know, we've all been in that situation where it's like, oh, man, I saw so-and-so, you know, down at the shops. Oh, did they see you? No, they didn't see me. Okay, well, it's not as good, right? It's more important that they actually see you. I go to the Bris- I go to watch the Brisbane Lions at the Gabba. I actually see every single player of the Brisbane Lions, and not one of them sees me every time. They never see me. I'm not that upset about it. <laughs> it just came out like that. Um, but th- that would be awesome. That would be better, right? Just one time I'd love to be seen. No, that's all good. <laughs> um, so Jesus says, in a little while I'll come back and I will see you. And he continues, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Your hearts, your hearts will rejoice. Do you remember what their hearts are right now? Do you remember what we said just, just earlier? What are their hearts filled with? Sorrow. And he says, your hearts, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take it from you. Why? Because it's in him. It's actually, it's on the other side of the cross and the resurrection and, and, and therefore their trust in him and their salvation Who's going to take that joy, that banking on the resurrected Christ? No one's going to take that away from you. It's impossible. Friends, all of this is also good news, not just for the disciples, but for us. Now, our little while doesn't include Jesus' actual crucifixion. But in this world, we have lots of trouble. We have different sufferings, various sufferings, and lots of them. That's our little while. But in a little while longer, this is true for every Christian, we will see him. He will see us face to face. And no one will be able to steal our eternal, everlasting joy. So that's the first reason to have peace in Jesus this morning. In a world full of trouble, in a little while, in a little while, your sorrows will turn into joy. Second reason for peace in Jesus. Because you can pray to the Father in Jesus' name. This is so good. Verse 23. In that day, Jesus says, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, says it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So notice we're still talking about that day. So that day that is still coming, right? It's the little while, little while longer day. In that day of rejoicing, of joy that day on the other side of the resurrection, that day your prayer life will be transformed. J.C. Ryle writes this, he says, Can we doubt that our Lord would have all His people in every age understand that the secret of comfort during His absence is to be instant in prayer? Right? Knowing 
knowing peace in Jesus in a world of trouble is connected to praying to the Father in the name of Jesus. Makes you think of the song, right? What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. When we take things to God in prayer, we are praying to the Father, Jesus says, in His name. It's actually the fourth time on this night, just in this night, that Jesus has spoken to them about praying to the Father in His name and therefore the effectiveness of that prayer. Three times it's about being in His name. One time it's about abiding in Him. Let me see. Let me show you. Chapter 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, 16. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then we have our passage as well. Now, what this is not saying is that just saying the phrase in Jesus' name is some kind of magic formula for you to get all the things that you ever wanted. That happens. I think it's, I think it's actually the definition of blasphemy. Take the name of the Lord Jesus and just belt it out like it's a magic formula, like a, an incantation. I've seen that. I've seen well-known people do that. I saw COVID declared over when it was definitely not over, in Jesus' name. It's, I think, blasphemy. I've heard all kinds of things claimed, and you just throw in, in Jesus' name at the end, like it's magic. It's not magic. There's something going on. It's profound, and it's wonderful, and it's being misused regularly. So what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? We say it all the time, don't we? Finish our prayers. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. But what are we saying? What does it actually mean? Well, a couple of things I think we can just um, get from this text. For one, it's to pray on the basis of His work and not our own work. Remember, in what day are they going to pray in His name? After the cross and the resurrection. We come to the Father pleading Him, not us. We don't come to Him in, I'm coming in my name. You know, I've, I've done these things. This, we do this. Don't we? Like, I've done these things today. And so I've come to you in my name because I deserve an answer to this prayer and this prayer and this prayer. That's praying in your own name. That's not how we come. Whose name do we come in? Jesus. Why? He died for us. He's risen again. His righteousness is ours. We wouldn't dare come in any other name than the name of Jesus. The Father loves His Son, and He has shared the love that He has for His Son with His people whom Jesus died for. Jesus did not make the Father love us, right? Jesus didn't make the Father love us. Actually, the Father loved us beforehand. It's why He sent His Son. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus will say that in a, in, a, in a moment. Think about this hymn, these words from this hymn. My faith has found a resting place. Hear these words? I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that He died for me. My argument before the Father is the name of Jesus, His righteousness and His work. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. It also means, I think, to pray for the sake of His name, for the sake of His glory. We don't come primarily to God for my sake. For my, you know, we for my sake do these things, and for the sake of my, my name do these things, and for the sake of my glory do these things. That's not how we pray. We pray in Jesus' name, for the sake of His great name. I think there's peace. Jesus is saying all these things so that you would have peace in Him. There's peace in coming to God and not going, I need to have earned this right to talk to you and I, need to, and I need you to answer all the prayers that I have for myself. But to actually come in the name of Jesus for His sake. And if we pray like that, it says this, He will give it to you. He will give it to you. It's amazing. Amazing. He will give that to you. Man, how small and pathetic it would be to take these kinds of promises and go, hmm, money. 
How ridiculous. What's on offer? A better understanding of God and His gospel is on offer. Holiness is on offer. A walk with the Lord is on offer. Peace in Jesus Christ is on offer in a troubled world. Like all these things are on offer. Man, it's amazing, Jesus says. He will give it to you. Verse 24, Jesus continues, says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that, see this, that your joy may be full. Right, so Jesus links, praying to the Father in his name with your joy being full. I think this is like, prayer changes us. Right? We should not think primarily in prayer we're trying to change God. But actually in prayer, who's changing? It's actually us. Joyless, unbelieving, untrusting anxieties cannot coexist with prayers to the Father in the name of Jesus. Because prayer immediately challenges all those things. Just the act of praying, just think about it. The act of praying challenges all those things. Why? Because you're praying to the Father. So immediately you're reminded, God's my Father. I'm His child. He, he gives good gifts to His children. He, he is my Father. He cannot give me a bad gift. I'm praying to the Father. I'm praying in the name of Jesus. Immediately you're corrected, aren't you? Because what's happening? The very dynamic of it. I'm immediately reminded I'm coming in His name. I'm not coming with a list of my own abilities and my own righteousness. I'm resting and, 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 and coming on the, in the name of His Son whom He loves and who's died for me and who's rescued me, has redeemed me, who has forgiven me and adopted me. And I've been justified by faith in Him. So just praying to the Father in Jesus' name reminds you of all these things. Well, watch. Will, will joy not well up? In the midst of a world of trouble, I'm coming to my Father. In Jesus' name. Verse 25, Jesus says, this is interesting. He says, I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. So figures of speech don't just mean like metaphors and analogies like you just talked about with women giving birth and, and, and the vine and all of those kinds of things. But just in, in general, the word just means I've been speaking in ways that you clearly just do not understand. Like things are not clear to you. You are very, very confused. A little while and a little while longer, you're like, anyone know what he's talking about? No, we don't know what he's talking about. Right? These things are not clear to you. You don't get it. But things will become plain soon. Why? Because the things that he's talking about will have happened in a little while longer. And we go, ah, oh, right. A little while he wasn't with a little while he was with us, right? We, it, these things will become plain. John's, throughout John's gospel, he's, he's made little moments throughout there that have gone, you know, the disciples didn't quite get this right now, but afterwards they did get it. You know, so a few times. Chapter 2, Jesus says, I'm going to destroy this temple and raise it on the third day. And John's like, he was talking about his body, but none of us understood that at the time. But we did get it. It was just after the resurrection. We're like, aha. Chapter 12, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey like a king. And it says this, he says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to them. Right? Did not understand it at the time, but eventually they did get it. Chapter 13, Jesus washes their feet and he says to them, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Kids love that, don't they? When you say to them, look, you don't get it now, but when you're older, you're going to understand. They don't like that at all, actually. They hate that. But that's true, isn't it? In a little while longer, things become clearer. The disciples will finally understand everything. So verse 26, in that day, Jesus says, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. So praying in Jesus' name does not therefore isolate you from the Father like you're just speaking to Jesus and then He'll pass the message on to the Father. Jesus says that's not what's going on. That's entirely unnecessary because, verse 27, for the Father Himself loves you. Because you've loved me. And I've believed that I come from God. I come from the Father and have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. 
Jesus says to the disciples, the Father himself loves you. He loves you. Say that to all God's people this morning. The Father loves you. And Jesus didn't, like we said earlier, he didn't make him love you. His work on the cross didn't make him love you. He loved you in eternity. In love, Paul says, he predestined us. It was out of love for the world that he sent his son to the world to save the world. So we can go confidently to the Father in prayer in Jesus' name because we know he loves us. It has to be the greatest motivation to pray in the world, isn't it? It has to be the greatest kind of motivation that will just kind of rid us of, of, of prayerlessness. He loves me. Of course, it would be hard to go to him if I wasn't convinced. If I didn't think he loved me, well, then what, I'm not sure we would go to him. But Jesus grounds them and says, no, the Father himself loves you. The troubles in your life are not evidence of his lack of love. Look at Jesus Look to Him in whose name you pray and you will see He loves you. It's why He sent His Son to save you. Jesus calls us to pray to the Father in His name so that, remember, the purpose of this passage, we would have peace in Him. Paul talks like that, Philippians 4, remember? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. John Patton, we've talked about John Patton before. He was a missionary. Um, And his missionary life was really one that was marked by this kind of enjoyment of the peace of God. And it came to him so often in prayer. By praying to the Father in the name of the Son, he received all this kind of peace. At the age of 33, he went to New Hebrides, now Vanuatu, in 1858. He lived amongst the cannibals there under extreme and constant danger. He described one experience like this. Let me read it from his his journal. My enemies seldom slackened in their hateful designs against my life. A wild chief followed me around for four hours with his loaded musket, And though often directed towards me, God restrained his hand. I spoke kindly to him and attended to my work as if he had not been there, fully persuaded that my God had placed me there and would protect me till my allotted task was finished. Looking up in unceasing prayer to our dear Lord Jesus. See the effect of prayer on him? Looking up in prayer, I left all in his hands and felt immortal till my work was done. That's peace from prayer. When Patton arrived there, his wife Mary was pregnant. She gave birth and he rejoiced. He talks about it. He rejoiced at the birth of his son. Uh, they named him after his wife's father, who was a godly man. Yet within a month, After fighting fever and pneumonia and diarrhea, his wife Mary died. And then just a few weeks later, his new baby boy died. So in this world, you will have trouble, hey? He writes this. I felt her loss beyond all conception or description in that dark land. It was very difficult to be resigned left alone and in sorrowful circumstances. But feeling immovably assured that my God and Father was too wise and loving to err in anything that He does or permits, I looked up to the Lord for help and struggled on in His work. Where did He go? I went up to the Lord and I pressed on. Peace. Prayer was just a massive feature of his life. And every time, it seems, he went to the Lord in prayer, he knew the peace of Christ. While attempting to escape the land of Tanna, after four years of living there in in great danger, he was surrounded by natives, each urging the other to make the first blow on him. Surrounded, wanting to leave. And he writes about it, he says this, My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene, 
my peace. Do you see? Peace. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal until my master's work with me was done. The assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevailed to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was held vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ, who is all power in heaven and on earth. My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus, he says, and peace. That's a life of praying to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. A peace in the world of trouble. J.C. Ryle writes, It is a duty for which we are all accountable. All cannot read or hear or sing, but all who have the spirit of adoption can pray. Which means we all have access to peace in a troubled world. I think we should encourage each other to pray more just as a church family. As one of the ways we can just help one another, simple, but as we go through trouble, to remind one another, pray. Pray to your Father in the name of Jesus and receive His peace. So third and last point, have peace in Jesus in this troubled world because even though your faith may falter, Jesus has not. He has overcome the world. Man. Verse 29, his disciples say this, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Don Carson, in his commentary, he begins his his comments on that verse with these words. He says, No misunderstanding is more pathetic than that which thinks it no longer exists. The disciples were like, oh, now we get it all, right? You're not speaking figuratively anymore. You're doing the plain speech thing. So now we get it all, right? Except Jesus just said, right now I am speaking in figurative speech. In that day, things will be plain. And you do not understand what's going on. It's, it's just excited about their lack of ignorance whilst displaying their ignorance, It's a shame. (laughs) They say the things they do understand. They're like, we know you know all things. Okay, but that's not that hard. I mean, good. That's good. He does know all things. He does keep telling them what they're thinking. So they pick that up. They they say, we don't need anyone to ask you questions. I wonder if they're just like, we should, we should, you know, you know, what's that saying? You know, if you start talking, then you kind of know you have no idea what's going on. But if you keep silent, you can at least keep up the illusion. So we believe you come from God. That's an excellent thing to believe. Jesus has been saying that only 3,000 times. So that's a good thing, and it's a great thing that they believe that. What's missing? The cross, the resurrection, the next few hours, the next few days, the little while and a little while longer. So Jesus answers them, verse 31, do you now believe? Do you? Now? Right now? Right now, you, you understand, do you? Verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. See, when it really comes to it, you do not understand. And when the pressure comes, you're going to run. You're going to scatter, and you're going to go to the comfort of your own home, and you will leave me all alone by myself. The irony of them being so worried about Jesus leaving them, hey, they're going to leave him first. But Jesus adds, yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. Praise God. I hope that's comforting for anyone who feels alone. You're never actually alone. The Father sees you, knows you, is with you. In the final closing verse then, Jesus contrasts their failure, I think, with his victory. Verse 33, I've said these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It's just wonderful. 
they pronounce such great understanding. We have such great understanding, great belief. They will scatter and they will leave him alone. Well, where do they go from there then? Where do you go from there after you've pronounced so much and you leave your Lord Jesus alone on that night? Is there hope for them to come back? Is there forgiveness? Is there anything? I was thinking of DC's talk song. You know, what if I stumble? What if I fall? You know that song? What if I lose my step and make fools of us all? Is there hope for the stumbling, the failing, the faltering faith? Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Not you. I have. Your hope's not in you. It's in me. I did that. The offer of peace is not based on you. The offer of peace that in me is because I've overcome the world. And you have not. In this world, you will have tribulation. But that very same world where you have tribulation, I've overcome it. Praise God. So that's how Jesus finishes. That's how we're just going to finish now. Brothers and sisters, this is true for us today. Would you have peace in a world full of trouble? And I know some of us have all kinds of trouble. You don't need convincing that in this world you will have trouble. So much trouble. Maybe barely got here this morning because of the trouble. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. But I've said these things so that you can have peace in me. And I, I have overcome the world. Three reasons you can believe and have peace in the Lord Jesus. Remember these three things. In a little while we will be with him. We can pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. And we might falter, but our hope is not in us. Our hope is in the one who overcame the world. So, take heart. Let me pray.